Well, good morning, McLean Prez. My name's Ryan, one of the pastors here, and I'm gonna read our scripture passages for today. They are selections from the book of Proverbs. Uh, you'll see the, uh, the annotations where you can find them in your Bible or on your, uh, on your Bible app. That's there for you in your bulletin. Uh, I'm just gonna read these for us straight through. Uh, so let's give our attention to God's word this morning. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great, for it is better to be told, come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. The words of Agor, son of Jakah, the oracle. The man declares, I am weary, O God. I am weary, O God, and worn out. Surely I am too stupid to be a man. I have not the understanding of a man. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name? Surely you know. Two things I ask of you, deny them, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we pray that you would uh, protect us even in this moment of opening your word and considering the wisdom of Proverbs. Lord, protect our hearts from becoming more proud. We know that even now, As we gather as your people, we can gain a sense of arrogance instead of the appropriate sense of humility. Lord, help us, protect us, rescue us from being wise in our own eyes. For your word tells us there is more hope for a fool than for that person. Lord, open us up, even as we open up your word, that we might know you and that we might see you clearly, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a couple things by way of logistics. Obviously, Proverbs is a little challenging when we're bouncing around to have the passage in front of you. So that's why we have the references in in the bulletin. And also, most of what I just read will be on the screen behind me. You'll see that. Maybe not in the order we'll talk about it. Um, One place you can camp out a little bit, when we get to chapter 30, you could open up to that passage because we're going to do some work in that area. but uh, I would love for you to have the words in front of you on the screen or in your Bible or um, 
or, or, or in your phone. I also know today, just because of logistics, we might have a few more kids with us than we normally do. So parents, we're praying for you and uh, we're, we're really glad that you're here. We love having our kids with us in worship. So, um, so kids, if you can hear the sound of my voice, I'm gonna give you a few things to listen for in this sermon. And I hope this helps you pay attention just a little bit. You can think about this and you have to be kind of quiet. When I say these things, you know, I don't want you to jump up and raise your hand or anything. I just want you to maybe write it down on the bulletin or maybe gently touch your, your mom, your dad, or your sister, your brother. So this morning we're gonna talk about pride and I want you to listen for a couple things. I want you to listen for a trip to the beach, a trip to the beach. I want you to think about, I want you to listen for uh, a party, okay? And I want you to listen for what all this has to do with Jesus, okay? So a beach, a party, and what all this has to do with Jesus, all right? And then you can come up to me after or you can find JT and quiz him to make sure he was listening during the sermon as well. We are talking about pride, which means really, honestly, this should be a very straightforward sermon. We could be out of here in about three minutes. Because you already heard, I mean, you already heard the sermon, uh, Proverbs 11.2, which, uh, which says that when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. So here, here's the sermon. Uh, pride is bad, humility is good. Don't be proud and be humble. Got it? Like, are we done? Can we just wrap it up? Uh, well, maybe, but you have to realize that like, pride is a little more complicated than that. Because um, there are good kinds of pride. There are good kinds of pride. So some of you yesterday worked in the yard. It's a good day to work in the yard. You worked in the yard, and at the end of a hard day's work, you sat on the back porch of the deck with a choice beverage. You sat back. You surveyed the manor that is your backyard, the kingdom that is your backyard, and the, the, the neatly trimmed sidewalks and the, the hedges that just look fine now and the, the mulch that was, uh, that was laid out once again, the, the neatly cut lawn, and just in your, in your heart, you just felt a little bit of pride in a hard day's work, and that's good. I think it's good for us to feel pride in our, in our work. God made us to work and to be satisfied in our work. That's a good thing. It's a good kind of pride. Or some of you didn't have time yesterday because you were at the pool all day uh, watching a swim meet, or you're, you were uh, you know, watching your, uh, your child in a, uh, in a recital or you're at an equestrian event, I don't know, just whatever. Like you're doing something with your kids and you're watching your son or your daughter crush it in that event. And as you're watching your child do a great job, there's like a little bit of pride swells up within you, which is good. I mean, we should, we should look at people we love who are doing things they love and excelling and say, that's my kid or that's, that's my parent or that's my cousin or that's my friend. And we can be proud that we see that that kind of success happening. There's a good kind of pride, but we also know that it, there's just like a fine line between the good kind of pride and the not so good kind of pride. So like, it's one thing to be proud of your lawn, okay? It's another thing to let that pride turn into you being a lawn Nazi, right? And like no one in the neighborhood even gets to look at a blade of grass in your yard. Uh, you become the Simon Cowell of the neighborhood when it comes to lawn care, and you just like look down on those who don't have all the weeds pulled or don't have the same sort of standards that you have. It's a very fine line between enjoying your children playing sports and observing them succeed in that and becoming a terrible parent on the sideline. 
kind of parent who screams at the referee, the kind of parent who pulls aside your daughter's soccer coach to inform him or her that she really deserves a lot more playing time than she's getting, and she's seven. Not the coach. The coach is 16, but you decided it was important for them to hear your adult uh, perspective anyway. It's a fine line between those two things, between good pride and bad pride. Uh, The Avid brothers have a line in one of their songs where they say, um, I want pride like my mama has, but not the kind in the Bible that turns you bad. Right? We know there's, there's pride that's good and there's pride that if it takes root in our hearts, it turns us into the kinds of people we don't want to be. And this is where Proverbs comes to the rescue. Because there's no easy way out of those conversations on the sideline or those conversations at work or those conversations in your yard. There's no formula I can give you to say good pride, bad pride. This is where we need wisdom to fill in the gray areas, to be able to be wise, not just when we come to church, but at the soccer game as a player, as a coach, as a parent. What does wisdom look like in this area of pride and humility? Well, I want to think about what Proverbs says in the passages we've picked out under two headings. First of all, the folly of pride. We have to understand pride in all of its manifestations, including understanding it as folly, understanding pride as the craziest, maddest, most foolish thing that you can buy into. And on the other hand, we have to understand the, the wisdom of humility, that no matter how you walked in here thinking about humility, Humility is actually the path of wisdom. Okay, the folly of pride. We're starting there partly to push back a little bit against our automatic response. And our automatic response is that pride is a what? Is a sin. In fact, it's the biggie. It's the one that started this whole mess. As one person has said, it was pride that led the devil to become the devil. This instinct, this rebellion against God that seeks to take his place on the throne. And that is mirrored in our own lives in a million ways throughout our lives in which we're putting ourselves in the place that only God rightly occupies. So yes, pride is a sin, absolutely. But Proverbs also talks about pride as folly, which may be a little hard for us to get our heads around because some of the smartest people we know are also the most proud. Uh, Some of the brainiest people we know are some of the most arrogant people we know, which just goes to show that Proverbs doesn't just mean that wisdom means being a smart person, it means being a different person. It means living life well as God has defined it, including in this area of pride. Why does pride, why is pride foolish? Well, there's lots of ways we could describe this. Let me just give us two from the book of Proverbs. First of all, that pride encourages us to ignore our limits. And secondly, to inflate our importance. These are two dynamics that are characteristic of the proud person. And Proverbs would say, both are foolish. First of all, it's foolish to ignore our limits. Proverbs 27 verse one. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Actually sounds a lot like something Jesus would eventually say. Um, But we're not actually learning anything new. This isn't new information. Uh, Of course, we would all admit that we don't know what tomorrow brings. 
We have no idea. Now, I've got my phone up here. I'm keeping the time, just in case you're wondering why I have it up here. And then occasionally I check, just check Twitter, but you won't notice. No, no, but, but if I were to open up my calendar app, I would tell you there's a lot that I have planned this week, which is good. We're going to talk about planning next week, as a matter of fact. So planning's a good thing. Planning's not an evil thing or an arrogant thing. But there is a way in which we can live in the world as if tomorrow is promised to us. And let me just tell you, in case you've forgotten, tomorrow is not promised to you. It's not guaranteed. And yet sometimes we live as if everything we have planned and everything we're expecting to happen is our right, and it will happen, when in fact, what Proverbs says is don't be so arrogant as to think that you're not a finite human being living out your life in space and time. That is the limit all of us experience. And pride wants us to resent that, to push back against that, to live as if this weren't true. Pride also baits us into inflating our importance. You know, some of you may have a t-shirt or a mug, you know, that someone gave you in jest that says, I'm kind of a big deal. You know, or a mug, you have it at work, I'm kind of a big deal. And we all chuckled when you got it, but now you're maybe starting to believe it. Have you ever had this conversation with somebody, like maybe somebody, a, you know, a colleague or maybe someone who's in the same profession you are, you just kind of meet them randomly. They don't know who you are. They don't know that you're actually a very important person. And you start having this conversation and you realize this person has no idea how important I am. Now again, you can say, you can have some self-talk in that moment and go, well, I really know that I'm not that big a deal. Or you can begin to believe your own press clippings and start acting as if you're a pretty big deal. Um, Proverbs 22, verse two. The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. Hmm. The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. Now, here, the writer of Proverbs is picking the issue of class or socioeconomic distinction to say, rich and poor, you know, you may think if you're rich that you're better than the poor person or the poor person, you may think you're better than the rich person, but you can just kind of plug in whatever means of comparison gives you that little jolt of self-importance. Maybe it's not class, maybe it's education level, maybe it's your fitness, maybe it's your athletic abilities, maybe it's your grades, maybe it's the pieces of paper you hang up on your wall, whatever it might be. But all of us have those go-to comparisons that just in a moment, it's amazing, like in a fraction of a moment, we size someone up and we realize, I'm just this much better than you are. And Proverbs is saying, you know, the Lord has made all of us in his image, rich and poor alike. That means all of us have more dignity and value and worth than we can possibly imagine. And that's not just true of you, that's true of everybody. What right do we really have to stride through this world and think that we're really more important than any other person? Now, uh, it's hard to get the off switch on that. Um, I was reading an article by David Brooks a couple years ago about self-importance and feeling superior. And he cited a few studies that I thought I would share with you. Maybe you know these statistics. In 1950, the Gallup organization asked high school seniors, 1950, I won't ask for a show of hands who graduated high school in 1950. I think I figured it out by looking around already. But um, 1950, uh, Gallup poll 
asked high school seniors, are you a very important person? 12% said yes, 12%. Class of 2005, high school seniors, and I, there are probably some of you out there. Class of 2005, same question. Gallup poll asked the same question. Are you a very important person? 80% said yes. <laughs> different organization, different question. Um, a couple years ago, um, the Time Magazine asked Americans, citizens of the United States, are you really good at math? The majority of people answer the question yes, even though the United States is ranked currently, or at the time, 25th in the world at math. And David Brooks concludes from these studies, at least we have this going for us. We are number one at thinking we're number one at math. Now, it's one thing to be deluded about your mathematical skills, all right? I am not that person, but some of you may be slightly deluded about your mathematical skills. I'm pretty sure I know where I stand on that. It's quite another thing to be deluded about how important you are as a human being. So let's talk about a party. You guys ready to talk about a party? Because this is where Proverbs is actually a lot of fun. Well, it's, it's fun for a second, and then it kind of hurts a little bit. But it's fun at least when it starts, because Proverbs isn't just going to say, pride bad, Humility good. It's going to give us a story. It's going to allow us to enter into a scene that at first may not seem familiar to you, but I, I think actually is going to sound kind of familiar. So it's this scene that we have uh, described for us in 25, 6, and 7a. Do not put yourself, this proverb says, do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great, for it is better to be told, come up here than to be put lower in the presence of the noble. Here's the scene. You walk into the board meeting, the CEO is there from out of town. Uh, there are lots of really important people in the room and you know you need to make a good impression. Or you walk into the party, the birthday party, of the cool person who you didn't think this person thought you existed, but apparently you do, and you walk in and there are all the cool people in one place. Or you walk into a networking event and you immediately begin to figure out, these are the people I need to talk to, these people, whatever, but I need to really get in with that crowd right there. You're in a room with important people. What's going on inside your brain, inside your heart? Now, what this proverb says is, it's better for you if the most important person in the room, the king says, come up here to the most important place at the table. It's better that that happen than when you walk in, he sees you and he says, what are you doing here? Because that would be kind of embarrassing. It would also be kind of revealing. Because many of us would walk into that situation and if we're honest in our pride, we would recognize it as a moment in which we can get more attention and we can get more admiration and we can be seen with the people you want to be seen with. We've all been in that situation before. And of course, there's nothing wrong with places of influence and power. I wouldn't be talking to this group if, if I didn't understand that some of you over the course of your career or in the course of your life have been put in places of influence and power. There's nothing wrong with that. We have biblical examples of God putting people in places of influence and power. The question is, what's going on in your heart when you're there? Or maybe the better question is, how did you get there? And what Proverbs is telling us is, it's better to be extruded into that place than to weasel your way into that place. It's better for someone to say, I need you here, 
next to me rather than you just sidling your way up and manipulating people and leaving a wake of bodies behind you as you do so. Why is that better? Well, sure, one is kind of sleazy and one has integrity, but more than that, what Proverbs is reminding us of, number one, people are fickle. So one day, the most important person in the room may think you're awesome. The next day, he or she may not care about you at all. Secondly, power is fleeting. Here today, gone tomorrow. And thirdly, and perhaps most importantly, what's underneath all of this is this awareness that if we are pursuing places of power and influence, places of honor, places where we can glorify ourselves and have people say, man, he or she, they have it together. If that's what we're after, we're eventually gonna get it. And we're gonna realize how empty it is. That there's no amount of admiration, adoration, recognition, power, money, fame, influence, success, that's going to fill you up with enough joy. Your, whole, your heart is a black hole for that. So Proverbs is saying, in those places where God has placed you, move into those places as he moves you in with open hands of humility, not with the, the white knuckle grasp of ambition and sinful pride. So, what Proverbs does for us, even though I've just kind of unpacked that for us, is it just leaves us with a question to think about. What do I do when I walk into that room the next time? Where do I sit? What's going on in my heart? What does that say about the way in which I am choosing foolish pride over wise humility? Let's talk about wise humility, why humility is wisdom. Now, on the, on the surface, some of you are like, humility doesn't sound like wisdom to me necessarily because for you, when, when I use the word humility or humble, what you think of is self-loathing. Okay, what you think of is like, all right, I need to have the lowest view of myself of anybody in the room. You know, and um, you see this when, when maybe you pay somebody a compliment or someone pays you a compliment and instead of saying, thank you for saying that, it's like, oh, I don't know, I just wasn't that great or whatever. It's like, no, someone pays you a compliment, you can just say, thank you, I appreciate you saying that. Instead of saying, no, 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 or, or sort of the Christian version of that is, no, 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 you know, glory to God, glory to God, well, okay, given. But sometimes we deflect all of that appreciation because what's at the core of this sense of like, I just don't really even like myself that much to receive what you're saying to me. And we think that's humility, that's not humility. In mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis said it this way, that true humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. And Tim Keller, channeling C.S. Lewis, as he often does, says, this is really the freedom of self-forgetfulness. There's freedom in humility in not always thinking about yourself or not always thinking about, what does this person think about me right now? Have you ever had those thoughts going on in your head as you're having a conversation with this person, words are coming out of your mouth and her mouth or his mouth, and all that's going on in your head is, I wonder what this person thinks about me right now. Wouldn't it be wonderful to actually be present in that conversation instead of so concerned about you? Well, how do we get there? Well, one way to get there, especially for those of us who have a sense of self-importance, is to get counsel. To have people in your life who can tell you 
with all the love and gentleness they can muster, you know, Ryan, you're not that big a deal. Now, some of us are married to that person, and you should thank the Lord for that. Um, But you also need to have friends who tell you this. Uh, That's why uh, Proverbs says things like, um, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. How is that going to work? How is that going to work? That... um, that, that it's not up there, um, that, uh, that, that with many advisors, plans succeed. It, it works in one way and one way only, if you listen to what people have to say. In my experience, like the presenting symptom of a proud and arrogant person is what? They don't listen to what you're talking about. I remember getting up from a conversation with somebody, and the last thing I said to this person, and I hope I said this in a gracious way, but the last thing I said to him is, hey, I really appreciate the time together. I want you to know over the last hour, I don't feel like you listened to a word I said. If I, you know, just, just so you know how people experience you, I experience you as someone who doesn't listen. And we had some hard things to say to each other. Now, I hope I would have a friend who would tell me the same thing if I were acting that way, because humble people listen, even when it's not always fun to listen. So humble people get counsel. Secondly, humble people get perspective. So there's this section I told you to turn to uh, in Proverbs chapter 30, and And just to kind of have it open, there's some interesting things happening in the first three verses that I'll let you guys talk about at lunch, what's going on there. Uh, But it leads to these questions that I really want to focus on. These are questions that are similar to the questions at the end of Job and similar to the questions in Isaiah 40, similar to the questions we sang when we began this morning um, with our opening song. These are rhetorical questions, all right? Now, yes, you could answer all of these questions with um, God, yep, Yep, all all the way down the list. God is the correct Sunday school answer to all of those questions. But remember, Proverbs is like hard candy, and uh, it it requires time to get the flavor profile. You don't want to eat a Jolly Rancher in five seconds. You want to eat it over the course of five to ten minutes, depending on how big it is or how big your mouth is, I guess. So um, here, these are meant to linger. We, we, are needed, we need to take these questions home for homework. And what's perfect about these questions in particular is that they are tailor-made for summer vacation. Let me just show you what I mean. So some of you in a couple weeks, maybe even next week, you're going to go off to the mountains for your summer vacation. And when you're in the mountains and you're on your morning hike and you're away from Washington, D.C., where it's 150 degrees humidity, but you're in the cool, crisp air of the mountains and you come around the turn, you look out at the vista and the cool air hits your face, you can remember this question. You can remember the question, who has gathered the wind in his fists? Or some of you cannot wait to get to the beach, to get your toes in the sand, to play in the water, to look out at the vast horizon that's before you. And as you're there, you might have you know, your, your, your reading list, but I want you to think of this question. Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Some of you are gonna fly away to exotic, far-flung places. Remember last week, Pastor Bill was talking about envy. Just keep all of us in mind when you're posting on Instagram. Just gonna throw it out there. Um, but you're there and you're, you're in some place you've never been before, experiencing cultures you've never experienced before. And you can ask the question, who has established all the ends 
of the earth. And then some of you, vacation this year is staycation this year, or you've already had your vacation. And so all of us can ask that last question, what is his name and what is his son's name? These are questions that are meant to draw us out of the delusion that we are at the center of the universe. That may not sound like good news to you, that's actually really good news. It's really good news to know that you are not at the center of the universe. That's not just God, good news for you, that's good news for all of us. I don't want you at the center of the universe. You don't want you at the center of the universe because it makes you forget that you have been given God-given limits, that you are a finite creature, that you can't do it all, have it all, know it all, be it all. It is good for you to be a creature made in the image of God, living in this magnificent world that God has made. And you can't experience that kind of perspective, that right fear of the Lord, unless you have humility. One person has defined humility as joyful realism. Yes, that's what these questions are developing in us, a sense that we live in the real world in which God is king and he has placed us in this world to glorify and enjoy him. And what that leads to is this understanding that tomorrow is not promised to you. And I know that sounds like in some ways daunting, dreadful, haunting. It's not, I'm not meant to spin anybody up into anxiety. It's meant to actually free you to enjoy what you have now, to be able to, to taste, to be able to see, to be able to share, to be able to say thank you. Proud people can't say thank you. Only humble people can show gratitude. And if that seems like a, a long way away from Proverbs 30, just listen to the closing prayer. Two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. This is verses seven, eight, nine, ten, or eight and nine. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. What a beautiful prayer. What a beautiful prayer for humility to say, Lord, don't give me too much that I become so proud that I think that I run my own life and I, I, get, I get everything I need because I'm a self-made man or woman. Don't do that to me. Don't do that to me. But don't give me too little that I forsake you out of resentment and fear. Give me what I need so that I might humbly, joyfully, interact with what's real, that I live in the world that you made and you have given me all things. And that's not just a prayer that you pray when things are good. That's a a prayer you can pray when things are hard, when you're struggling with pride, when you're struggling with envy, when you're struggling with anger, to realize that this is the perspective that Proverbs gives us. So we get perspective and finally, we get grace. There's an interesting question at the end in verse four. What is his name and what is his son's name? Surely you know. We've already said the Sunday school answer is God. And if you were a Hebrew reading the Old Testament and seeing this, the Sunday school answer to the second question, what is his son's name, would probably be Israel. That was the way that 
That's the way the Old Testament often talks about Israel, the people of God, or Jacob as representative of the people of God. He was the, they were the son of God, the, the children of God. But in our own understanding, we would say on this side of the cross, we would have to answer that question even more fully to say, it's Jesus, the true Israel, that he is the son of God. Not just because he answers that question, but because he answers all the questions. That he is the one who has descended from heaven and ascended again, risen, glorified, and exalted. He is the one who, by calming the storm with a word, showed that he holds the wind and the waters in his hands, in his fists. He is the one, as the king of all people in all places of all cultures, who calls us to go to the ends of the earth, making disciples of all nations and baptizing them in his name. This is... These are questions that lead us ultimately to the grace that we have in Jesus because this same Jesus had every right in the world to take the highest place. You know, he could have been born into a royal family and enjoyed all the luxuries this world has to offer. He deserved every single bit of it and more, but instead he chose to be born as a helpless child, as a helpless baby, raised in a working class family, lived in obscurity for the first 30 years of his life, and when he finally reached popularity, and influence at the height of his career, he gave it all up and humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. Why did he do that? For proud people like me and proud people like you, people like us who think it's our right to take God's place. And instead, God took ours. When we come to this table, this is what's happening. It is the king of all, the Lord of all, the God of all welcomes us to this table and he is the one who saw you coming in this morning. And even if you feel small, insignificant, unimportant, he sees you and he says to you, come up here to the place of honor in my presence. Come here, I want you here at my table, because rich, poor, successful, unsuccessful, the Lord is maker of us all, and he invites us as our maker and as our redeemer to join him, to dine with him, so that he might look us in the eye and remind us that we belong to him. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for the words that we've heard and now for the words that we see and taste and smell. We need the gospel in every which way that you bring it to us. We struggle sometimes to believe that these things are true and so now we pray that as we receive the tangible bread and the tangible cup, we might remember that Lord Jesus, what you have said you did for us, you did for us with your body and your blood. The gospel is true because Lord Jesus, When you said it is finished, it was in fact finished. Our sins paid for. We pray now that we would come with expectant faith as those humbled by your grace. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.